Thank you, thank you, Janet Lee. You know, uh, I call you my darling because you are not only my darling as a wife, but you are my darling as a great organist, and I love your playing. All right, and hello out there, everybody. Well, this is going to be a very special teaching, and I'm just uh, <clears throat> hoping that my voice will hold out for it. I uh, rarely ever get any bug, but I got a bug this last week, and it was a real bad one. And uh, so, you know, I'm just uh, barely getting over over it. Uh, my wife had suggested I not do this broadcast today, but uh, in my lifetime of ministering since I was seven years old, I have never ever f missed uh, doing a, uh, a ministry or performance. Uh, I have been up at the pulpits when I was really sick with the flu and, and other drastic things. And, uh, and so that's just my style. But I'm going to have a lot to say today that uh, is probably going to be very evidential to some of you people, and then some of you people may just be so uh, swept off your feet by it that you'll be running the opposite direction. Uh, that, you know, is up to you. I don't, uh, I'm not out here to entice people to come into this revelation uh, uh, without their, their total uh, will to, to be in it. Because like when you offer someone uh, a huge sum of gold and, and silver right at their feet for basically free, and if they decide, oh, I don't know if I, I don't know about that gold, or I don't know about that silver, well then, you, you you're free. You just you just don't pour pour out your pearls before the swine or before anybody else that doesn't think what you've got is everything it should be. Now today is Sunday, February fourteenth, and uh, we're at our right time, and we're going to be presenting Exodus Escape. 16, and we're going to emphasize a lot on the Enchanted Holy Fi uh, Fire, Part 3. Um, we're going to do the best we can to get all this covered. I have so much. Uh, it seems like I just go from week to week not being able to get the whole message in. Uh, but, you know, uh, I will, before this series runs out, uh, go back over all of these teachings and, and fill in a lot of the missing parts. So uh, I'm going to not read every single word of this last announcement because you all have should have copies of it. But there's just a few parts here I want to read. Uh, and it says this. It is most oft often not known nor considered that reality can, can assume many shapes, forms, and states. And I think that is an awesome statement because the Bible even says in the 16th chapter of Mark that Jesus uh, changed uh, into different forms. And uh, not understanding this thing about forms is also not understanding the miracles of God and not understanding the appearances of God, like Shekinah glory and, and, and the, cloud, the cloud that that means. Now, you need to know this. There is a scripture in the book of Psalms and it says in the uh, 106th chapter and the 7th verse, our fathers, he's talking about all the people of the Exodus, all the people of the seed of Abraham involved here, 
Our fathers understood not. Now, I want you to get this. Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. Now, the things that were happening in Egypt and that were happening as, as a attachment or as a, a continuum of the Egyptian bondage and escape, that's all the whole thing is talking about. Uh, they remembered not the multitude of thy mercies, but provoked him at the sea, even the Red Sea. So this means when they just barely had reached a point where they were going to escape across the land, across the sea rather, and get to the other side of the, of the land, that during that time, they just really could not accept or could not believe in what happened. They were freaked out and they thought, well, this is just some this is just some natural event. There's no way, you know, that this could be a miracle, that this could be God. And, and I suppose, you know, the clouds of the pillar by day and the, the, the pillar of fire by night, they just thought that was some kind of, uh, of event of nature also in the atmosphere. But it's very clear and very emphatic that it says our fathers, and it doesn't make, you know, uh, a specific differentiation it just puts them all into one big blur, uh, or blur, I should say, uh, of a plural bag. Our fathers understood not the wonders, understood not the signs, understood not the miracles, understood not the real thing that God was doing, understood not the words that God would speak to Moses, understood not the leadings of Moses. They just didn't understand. This is a problem that we have today. We've got people that they just don't understand the message that, that, uh, of God that is coming forth. Now, when I was put on this earth to minister this message, and I came here a hundred years before my time of my own choice, so I have sort of always understood that even if I lived a hundred years old, that I would just be at the point where I would be getting in to what would have been my time. And therefore, I understand that this very deep, incredible word that I have received may not really be totally understood in any means until after that hundred year period is over. And, and, and so we've always had the understanding that others would come and finish the work that I have begun. Now, do I categorize myself with uh, all of the other uh, people out there? Uh, I put myself in the category of the body of Jesus Christ, but I, I certainly d differentiate uh, that in the body of Jesus Christ, uh, they, there are different uh, uh, places uh, that the body has that are not the same. There's, there's the foot, there's the hand, there's the head, there's the ear, there's the nose, okay? Now, that has nothing to do with meaning that the people who are the foot or the toe have less value 
or less meaning to God than the people that are the brain. But by the same token, we have to understand that the Bible talks about the Godhead. And we have to understand that when a person has been put into a Godhead ministry, then that is a leadership ministry. And, and so it's got nothing to do with who is greater or better or, or super or anything like that. It has to do with the designation that God has chosen and not of even that person's own desire, not even of that person's own wish. Now, let's go on with this. It's most often not known nor considered that reality can assume many shapes, forms, and states. I think that in the doctrines of Jesus Christ, there are so many p potential levels. There are so many potential possibilities. There are so many glorious offshoots that it would take a miracle in every person's brain to just open up into the comprehension. The Bible says in the Gospel of John, the light shined in darkness, but the darkness comprehended it not. So we understand that there are a lot of people who, who can make these comprehension, comprehensions uh, by having been come, having come into the light. But if they haven't come into the light and they're in the darkness, maybe the darkness of religion, the darkness of a denomination, the darkness of a ministry, then they're not easily going to get into this. Now, I was explaining to a friend and a brother here the other day how that it, uh, it op I operate, uh, how that, that uh, you know, over the many years of my ministry, I've had lots of, lots of people follow me. And, and I still have a, a pretty good number of people out there following. But, you know, like if, if someone who is following, and it doesn't matter if they've not ever given a dime or if they've given a huge amount, that does not ever make my decision. But if someone who is following suddenly just disappears from being aboard, being on, on the ship, uh, I never call them. I never send them an email. I never write them. I never say, hey, what happened to you? How come you weren't here? How come you're not still? I don't do it. So they just don't ever hear from me again. And if they don't come back on board, then that's it. I don't see them again. That's my style. You may not like that style. You have the right not to like it. But you do not have the right to tell me how to have my own style. And the thing of it is, is that there are many, many different realities that can assume many different kinds of shapes, forms, and states. So that sometimes even the angels, the Bible says, are not recognized, that people entertain them unaware of who they really are. Well, I think that many times people entertain uh, ministers and, and uh, persons of God that, that they do not really understand who they really are. Not trying to make anyone sensational. We're trying to make them designated and into a destiny. We don't even have the idea about someone being puffed up or glorified or, or made to be some uh, superman uh, of, of God. Uh, any true humble servant of God isn't interested in that. Has a total focus and understanding that there is only one name given under heaven whereby men may be saved, and that name is Jesus Christ. 
If you don't have that down, then you got a problem. Now, let me go on. Many mind, many mind and life prototype states are only meant to be temporarily, are to be temporary. Yet many persons live out those uh, phototype states all the days of their life. What does that mean? I suppose there are a lot of readers that did not understand that. But what that means is there are people that find themselves in a genetic world, in a world that evolved out of their experiences and lack of experiences, environments that were good or environments that were bad, and the situation of the happenings of their lifetime had an effect on them and trimmed them into a thinking that this was life and they had to live it. Well, I'm not against saying this is life and you have to live it as long as you understand that you have to always keep it in the right time mode. There's a, there's a time for everything under the sun, a time for the good times, a time for the bad times. That's all part of the wave, the up and the down. So we have to understand that when we read this article, that there are people out there not living the destiny life that God has selected for them. Now, we know that people like Moses, he didn't come into his actual ministry where he was really sent to go back and get the people delivered until he was over 80 years old. And, and, and we see that Abraham was nearly 100 years old. And, and so there's a lot of, of time factors there. But then with the sliding down of the longevity of the, of the, the average life scale, you know, that a person lives, uh, that has to all be adjusted. But in the meanwhile, we still have to have people understand that once you get the knowledge and the, and the notion that you are being called into a special destiny, then you want to get out of your prototype. Now, that doesn't mean you sell your automobile, you sell your house, you go move somewhere. No, that we're talking mental and spiritual states. <coughs> mental and spiritual states. And, and so don't go out there and tell someone, yeah, that Jerry Lee said that, you know, you got to change everything, leave your house, leave your car. No, I didn't say that. I never would say that. I don't even believe that unless God would specifically give you that kind of information. Now, we need to get it down that when God begins to move on you and show you something, to believe or not believe, to get on, this, on the white horse and ride or not ride, but don't be lukewarm. Because one of the things that the Bible says about people who are lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. God will not tolerate. He will more tolerate a person who's got a lot of problems and sins than he will tolerate someone who's just a whiny thing sort of jostling back and forth and, and, and confused of mind and never committing. All right.
So, the scriptures that direct believers to move on to a deeper word and perfection are not minor. They're not minor insets of, of advice. The Exodus escape and call to the Passover is a deep track belonging to no mere qualm or light twinge of conscience. Now, there is entwined in the Exodus escape message a call to return to the tree of, of, of life uh, the, in the Garden of Eden. The subject of angels are prolific throughout the text. And the Exodus story with secret codes and powerful names and Akava riddles, which are imbued as spirit lattices, are deep of reveal. There are also reveals printed as maps for living on earth and word maps to starways of the heavens. In the Exodus escape reveal, many dimensional Com, com, um, many dimensional compass polarizes toward the story of who we mortals are and from whence we came. It seems now that this third message is needed to come from a light tower. This subject of the enchanted holy fire must be the timing of a stigmatic moment. Now what does that mean? That means bearing in your body the signs of the wounds of Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that you have to have something out of your scars in your body. You can have that, but it doesn't mean you have to have that. It, 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 it's, a, it's a deep understanding of being crucified with Jesus Christ in the deepness of the reality that being crucified with him, if you die with him, you will rise with him. And if you rise with him, you are into the new body. Okay. So it goes on. Uh, put on a spiritual stethoscope. Listen through your heart to the auditory of the word that the manifestor Yada will now bring. I therefore render a fleeing I therefore render, listen to this, a fleeing and crashing of the brittle hopes for the devils who thought they might steal you away from the hearing of this transversal causeway, which violates no divine trespass nor invalidates the mandate to no manifold revelation. Come, my children, move quickly toward me, Come stand on the great white side, stand on the foaming sea of lattice glass. Come and stand where Moses and the Lamb of the Passover sing the songs of Zion, Revelations 15, 2 and 5. So then, last week we talked about the manifold word, which you can find in 1 Corinthians 12, 4. About, I guess that was about spiritual gifts. And you could find it in Psalms 104, 24. And how that when we use the word Elohim, which means plural, but we also use that meaning God, that in the oneness that God is, then the Elohim is a manifold God. 
which includes all of those that are made one with him and those that are going to be made one with him. Now, we see in Exodus 13, 21 about the pillars and a spirit-to-spirit calling, Proverbs 9, 1, and we, and, and we see many other things. But here is something I want to give you, and I want you to get into this. I want you to crank up your brain. I want you to motivate yourself to remember this because it is a powerful, powerful scripture. And you can read some interesting things about it, Romans eleven twenty nine, and and Romans 25, 33. And here's the main part of it that is so important. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Now, when people go into the Old Testament and they see things that Moses did that they think are cruel, that they think even violated his own laws, when they see things that other men of God did that seem consequently to also be violation of God's law, when they see and read about David and all the, the liberties that he took, which were, was not the will of God, but God allowed him to go on with it. And why? Okay. I want to, um, ever so often, I'm going to have to cough, so hang on. I got a different microphone this time, so I don't have to cough right into the microphone. That'll help. So, when God designates a person and they become a destinata, and that destinata is a ministry that is a mission that they are to work out, then that is a gift and that is a calling, and it's without repentance. Repentance doesn't have anything to do with it. If those people are men and women of God, they, they'll, they'll do their repenting, you can be sure. But for outsiders to look in on those persons and say, well, I don't agree with Jerry Lee on this, or I don't agree with so-and-so on this, and I think that blah this, or I think that blah that, that is what the Bible calls judging, and the Bible warns that the people that judge will be judged. Now, I'm not complaining about anyone judging me. I'm just trying to make an example here so that you will understand about these people in the Bible, how that we cannot judge any of the things that they did on the way to get to the Red Sea. We cannot judge any of the things they did on the way to the 40 years in the wilderness. We cannot judge any of the things that seemed out of line that they did on the way to Canaan. Because the calling, the calling of God and the gifts of God are without repentance. When God gives a gift, it's a gift, and he's not going to take it back. When God gives that gift, it's a gift, and he's not going to take it back, I repeat. And so what you have, you have, and you need to use it because it's from God. And it's not going to be based on your sin. It's not going to be based 
on your backslidings. It's not going to be based on your weak times. It's going to be based on whether you finish the mission or not because it is a call. Now, if you finish the mission, then all of those things are covered by grace. But if you do not finish the mission, then all of that grace collapses and goes into a prolapse. So Jesus said, He that endureth unto the end, the same shall be saved. When you are given a mission, if God speaks to you and says, you are to be behind Jerry Lee in this ministry, it's unique and it's of God, then you need to do that. That becomes your call in life. And that makes you, you, you an equal associate with the ministry. And you can't say, well, I would like to do it, but I don't feel worthy. Uh, don't play around with that slime. Don't play around with that. You're, a, you're, you're an animal. All humans are animals. And they act like animals a big part of the time, even the best of them. And the Bible's proof of that. But the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. So once God has called you into something, that's the deal. You just keep on going toward that. You endure to the end. And if you finish your mission, everything that you have done is wiped out. And it doesn't even remain in the, in, in the manuals of memory. Okay, let's keep moving. Now, we have this thing that we're talking about different times called the mystery of the Passover. Contained in the words, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Exodus twelve thirteen, And we talk of the awesomeness of that. How that it was a lamb and the blood of a lamb, but there wasn't one thing that that lamb or that that blood really did. It was what the symbolism of that blood and that lamb did. Because when that blood went on the, on the doorpost, it was not representing the lamb or the blood of the lamb. It was representing the blood of Jesus Christ, the lamb of God. And if you don't understand that, then you might as well start from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then stop right there and pray for an hour. Okay, now. The mystery of the Passover contained in the words, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And Jesus said, except you eat my flesh, drink my blood, you will in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. This mystery is so deep, it's about being saved. It's the difference of, of you being redeemed from your fallen state. So, the Passover is major of that revelation. And what do you get out of it? Oh, a host of things all through your life. I will cause the plague of Egypt to pass over you. Plagues can come to a nation, can come to a city. But if you're in the Passover, God can make it so all of those plagues pass over you because you're covered by the blood. And that's just real. That's just very, very real. 
And this mystery of the Passover is also the mystery of the moment of the Alpha and the Omega. Revelations 13.8 And those who dwell upon the earth shall worship the beast whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life or not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. There's people going to worship the beast. Now, even if it's not the beast that is this machine or this creature that is almost mythical, not really, but almost sounding that way, even if it's the beast of your mortal body, when Paul said, who will deliver me from this, this beast? Who will deliver me from this? And the scripture says in Ecclesiastes, oh God, I pray that you will reveal to the people that they themselves are beasts. So now we begin to see the incredibility of so many, many things. And it is so important. Well, there is so much that we teach in the Holy Manifest teachings. It's not just like one, two, three, happy be, four, five, six, gathering sticks, six, seven, eight, here's who I hate. It's not like that. That's poopy stuff. That belongs to the fertilizer camp. We are into some incredible things. Now, yes, there are people out there. There are other people that God has anointed and given them a mission. The majority of all those people basically have one theme and one revelation. And I've met hundreds and hundreds of ministers that say, oh, yeah, God has given me this revelation. I say, oh, okay, what is it? And it's a one-thing idea. The holy manifest revelations are stacked like a stack of hotcakes. Order one. Buttered and serped. Eat them and order two comes right up. Eat them and order three comes right up. Eat them and number continues and continues and continues. <coughs> now, there is so much that people do not understand that the manifest has, has taught over the years. There, there's miraculous revelation in, in, the, in the, the, the five books that Moses wrote. And we're going to talk about some very interesting things about that in just a few minutes. Because it includes the flood story, now someone says, oh, yeah, but they, they found out that there was an, a story over in, you know, Mesopotamia and the Babylonian area and, and that someone else built the ship. Hey, there are stories all over the world about the flood, all over the world, in almost every major, uh, uh, you know, culture. That doesn't mean that that proves that he copied that information because the revelation <clears throat> of the Noah's flood 
once you understand the details of it, is absolutely terrific. Now, I've done some teachings on it, but most people are not familiar with those incredible revelations and to think that Moses was able to tell that story and describe it. To think that he was able to tell the story of Adam and Eve. How could he tell the story of Adam and Eve? He couldn't have lived back then. How could he know what they said? And what happened with Cain? Well, that can, that can happen. You can go back in time. Like, like someone said to me the other day, they mentioned a book that has been lost. And I says, well, any of these books that have been lost can be restored. They're, they're the, like the lost book of, of wars that has been lost. I, I plan to restore that and to write what has been lost. And that's, God helps me to have the time and the, and the health to do it. That's what I plan to do. So you've got then the revelation of the generations of Adam, which includes a genetic conduit across time. And you've got beautiful scriptures like Psalms 85:11 that goes along with that. Truth shall spring out of the earth. Truth shall spring out of the earth. That's talking about humans. And righteousness shall look down from heaven. Isn't that beautiful? Now Moses had 40 years to spend in the wilderness. What did he do with his time? He had 70 elders. He had a whole group of priesthood that could help him. And all kinds of, of other help. What did he do? Well, that's the time that he had to be alone on the mountain of Horeb, on the mountain of Sinai, and, and, and other times. And I'm not talking about the, the time that in the 68th chapter of Psalms and, and in some of the other chapters that Moses uh, wrote where he was getting the Ten Commandments. I'm talking about other times that he conversed with God. And he, he began to receive these revelations going back in time. Wow. So th that is so incredibly super important. Now, let me rush through some things here, you know. Um, some of the things that we teach, spirit and soul. A lot of people do not know the difference between what spirit is and what soul is. Even the translators had problems with it. <clears throat> there's God's spirit, there's man's spirit. They're not the same. There's a body soul and there's a spirit soul. They're not the same. And there is all of this, of this universe, which are called in the Bible, the heavens. And then there is what's called beyond the heavens, which we call the first domain, which is the kingdom of God, of the heaven of heavens, kingdom, D-O-M, meaning domain, king's domain. And we teach the difference of the meaning of Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost. 
spiriting creation, Lanolution, regeneration, Gentile, and all kinds of other things that scratches only the surface. And so, before I turn this over to Jan to play something, I'm going to tell you a fast little dream. I had a dream the other night. And I saw this person in sort of a denim type of dress, that color of, you know, like Levi, sort of light Levi's and the, the coat and the pants and, and even the hat all matched. And he was walking around and sort of following me. And I thought, well, who is that guy? And this voice said to me, he's your bodyguard. And I said, bodyguard? And I said, well, who is that guy? He said, look really closely and you'll see him. And so I focused my attention to see who this was. And when I really saw him, I was shocked because it was me. It was like I was my own bodyguard. Well, perhaps when I come back on from this little break, I'll tell you what that means. Janet Lee.
Once again, thank you, Janet Lee. Same spiritual essence. Bless you. Okay, here we go. Now, I gave you the scripture just roughly how that the Bible says that there can be a dividing of the body, the spirit, and soul. This is so very deep. This is so very important. For instance, most people would have no idea what that really, really means. Most people would not realize that the ultimate God I am never, never comes down into the universe, has never been on earth, has never appeared to anybody, the ultimate God. I'm not talking the Father. I'm not talking the Son. I'm talking the ultimate God. Now, how does God know about things? Well, he sends his ghost. Now, there's a deeper meaning of the ghost than what people understand. If you don't think there is, then you shouldn't believe in why they call the Holy Ghost the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is exactly what it means. It's a Holy Ghost. But this ghost thing is real. And, and it can take in things, but it's a, not the first presence. And, and this is what people do not understand, is there is a first presence, a second presence, and a third presence that a person can be in. So God does not, the ultimate God, the invisible ultimate God does not come down into the universe, onto the earth, and there's lots of Bible for it, but his ghost does, his Holy Ghost. And you and I, we do not have a soul, a spirit soul in us. We have a body soul. The difference of a body soul and a spirit soul is that it's the difference between invisible and, and visible, physical and non-physical. Now, the soul is just another name for, for body. But sometimes I say a body soul because it gives a certain designation of a higher level of the animal world. But the spirit soul, the core, never leaves the first domain. It's still there. It never leaves because it is absolute pure energy and I will describe to you what that pure energy is Lord willing and we have time and it cannot leave and come into the physical world without destroying the physical world it's like totally opposite force to everything that's in this physical world and the Bible tells us in 
St. John chapter 1 through 9, the true light that lights every person born into the world. It's talking about Jesus Christ, the true light, lights every person, every human being that is born on this planet is affected by the mission of Jesus Christ. And that mission is before the world began, he says. He was crucified before the world began. And so when we begin to come into that understanding, when we begin to come into that realization, it's an awesome, beautiful thing. And so this is a signal. It is a, we have a signal to our spirit soul, which is in the first domain. And that spirit signal is this kingdom of God within us. And every human being that's born on the earth has it. Every human being. And that's what the scripture says in St. John 1, 9. So when people are talking about, oh, yeah, my soul or my body, a lot of times they don't know what they're talking about. They think they know, but they don't. Now in science today, especially in the string uh, mechanics, quantum mechanics, uh, they've supposed these multiple worlds in which when a person dies, they just go to another one of the worlds and, and they're pretty much the same as they are now, but then they can change to have a different personality or, or they can have things going a different way than they, they did and they could be in more than one world at a time. Well, you know, that's fiction and that's fantasy, but you'll usually find a lot of times in fiction and fantasy there's elements of the truth because the mind is like gravity. It collects a lot of these thoughts that are out there, and then, of course, it adds to it, and that's when it gets into the place where it has air. But the fact of the matter is, is that there can be a dividing of the body and of the spirit and the soul. Now let's take those one time, one term at a time. Body, a dividing of the body. Oh, you cut it in half? No. The capability of that body being in more, more than one place at a different time and the capability of that body taking on a different form one place than it does on another. And the same thing with the spirit so that the spirit can divide itself and spirit both of those two persons which are the same entity. And that was explained when the 70 elders ended up receiving spirit that had been divided from Moses and put on them. And then you got the dividing of the soul. Well, that's what we got going now anyway, because you got only you only have a, a signal, and the real soul is in the first domain, the the heaven of heavens. <clears throat> that's why the Bible says in Corinthians that when this body is 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 dissolved, we have a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So, when you dissolve, your body dissolves. You already have not where that pile of ashes is, you already have an eternal situation that was there before you died, that was there after you died, according to Corinthians, in the, that is eternal in the heavens. 
Now, in the first domain, there are many, many scriptures to support that. And uh, you can look these up if you'd like. Ephesians 4.10, in which the Bible says, Jesus not only descended, but then he also ascended far above all the heavens. Now, when you get far above all the heavens, you're talking about above the universe, beyond the universe, and that's where the first domain is. And you can look up these scriptures for verification. Psalms 103.19, Psalms 113.4. And you'll find some really interesting stuff there. Okay, so now, as we begin to get into this understanding, and I'm talking about this dream I had about my me being a, a bodyguard to myself, well, I thought this was very, very interesting because for quite a while, I have not had any contact from the Ziths, which I've had lots of contact in my lifetime, but the other night, I had quite an outstanding contact as I looked through the window. And it was so ab absolutely, I mean, absolutely obvious of what it was because there's no airplane or rocket or, or any uh, invention of humankind that could do what this did and then also could blink the blink signals that are known to me so that I can know that the vehicle out there is from the Father's house. It's from Artura. And I had some tr tremendous experience there the other night, and I was moved on. Now, the Father's house is a planet. It's a physical planet. And before the, the angels fell, they were posted at that planet when they were spiriting creation. And the Bible talks about the spiriting of creation. I gave the scriptures last week. And then when the fall happened, well, then that planet was all but deserted. Now, God has opened up that planet again, and it's called the, the Father's Bosom in the first chapter of the Gospel of St. John. Well, there is on that planet, and I don't want to, this might flip nut you, but you just be flip nutted then. There is what's called a swoo, S-W-O-O. And this swoo is an underwater large chamber with a crystallized top on it so that you can be in that chamber and see through that chamber up above into the uh, deep part of that very deep lake. And it's attached to the side of the mountain where you can go in and you can come out uh, onto dry land. And in there are dozens and dozens and hundreds of persons that are in their swoos and their body is kept alive and their spirit has 
gone to earth or gone to another location and it's doing a ministry and took on another body, the dividing of the body, the dividing of the spirit, the dividing of the soul, the Bible says. And this revelation came to me many, 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 many years ago, not in just a ideology, but in a physical experience, too deep to have the time to tell today. So when I dreamed about myself, I said, ah, Kawa. Well, Kawa is the name of the other person. And you can be in this suspension, call it the sleep, call it whatever you want. We shall not all sleep, the Bible says. Now that was written hundreds and hundreds of years ago but it still hasn't finished coming to pass. So that has to mean that those people hundreds and hundreds of years ago are still in that sleep it's referring to. We shall not all sleep. <laughs> and it would seem like that's a negative thing, but it's really not. You have to put the whole Bible collectively together. And so there's exciting and beautiful things that are available to the people of God. Now, there is this thing that is so important for God's people to know. And that is that in most of the theological seminaries today, Christian theological seminaries, many of the major denominations and major churches, they teach a thing called, in capitals, J-E-D-P. And J-E-D-P basically says that Moses did not write the five books of the Bible. That these books were written by several persons during the time of the captivity of, in Babylon of the, the priests and the people, of, the people of Israel. And then that's when all these stories were written and, uh, and the, he did not, Moses did not write it. And there are thousands and thousands and millions of Christians that believe that. No wonder it's difficult for them to come into the, the miracles of things because what's been created is the same kind of state that the Bible talks about in Psalms. And I read that to you earlier. Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They didn't understand what the pillars of the cloud were. They didn't understand what the pillars of the fire, fire was. They didn't understand Moses having a veil over his face. They didn't know that his face had dematerialized and that was the only way that he could see, according to the Bible, what Paul said, that he saw the invisible God by remote vision. It was the only way it could have happened because otherwise you have to be your body has to be dead. It can't exist because you can only see God in the spirit because God is a spirit. We're talking the ultimate God. Now, what does this all mean? Well, this is all about these this incredible revelations of Moses. And when you start messing around with it, making it all Babylonian, it's, it's unfortunate. 
But let me give you some scriptures. The uh, Pentateuch claims in many places that Moses was the writer. I'm sorry if I have to say these scriptures pretty fast because there's quite a few. Exodus 17:14, Exodus 24, 4 through 7, and 34, 27, and Numbers 33, 2, and Deuteronomy 31, 9, and 22 and 24. And in other books, not in the five books, but in other books of the Bible, it says that Moses had been the writer. Joshua 1, 7 through 8, 8, 32 through 34, Judges 3, 4, 1 Kings 2, 3, 2 Kings 14, 6, and 21, 8, 2 Chronicles 25, 4, Ezra 6, 18, Nehemiah 8, 1, and 13, 1, and Daniel 9, 11 through 13. And in the New Testament, Jesus frequently spoke of Moses' writings, of the law of Moses, and Jesus said that those who hear not Moses would not be persuaded the one rose from the dead, Luke 16, 31. So Jesus was aware of all of the people out there that do not hear Moses. And I'm trying to preach this message of the Exodus escape because I'm preaching Moses. Because Moses has... He has received so many incredible revelations. People don't have the slightest idea of the extent of those revelations. And without those revelations, a big part of the Bible that's been written would be missing the operetta. And so Jesus frequently spoke of Moses. Matthew 8, 4, 19, 7 through 8, Mark 7, 10, Mark 12, 26, Luke 24, 27, and 44, John 5, 46 through 47, and 7, 19. Now, you begin to see how utterly serious it is when you got people within the interval of the Christian faith who are basically denying the credibility of Moses. Here's what I believe. I believe that once I, Jesus had spoke and said Moses was involved, then I believe whether he wrote every single thing that was in there, like when he died, Joshua wrote a few things to, about him. We know that. But even if there, if there was in the Babylonian some, some altered things because they went from the original Jewish alphabet and dropped about six letters off of it to get it down to the alphabet that was more similar to the Babylonian. And in the doing of that, they modified the word to fit into places and, and probably just like some of the, um, uh, you know, concordances of today and, and, and dictionaries of Hebrew and dictionaries of Greek uh, made some amendments 
and so forth like that. I don't have a problem with that. But that didn't mean that the revelation was by them. And Moses has been designated. And if a person's been designated, even if he didn't do it, if he's been designated and given the credit, then he fulfills the revelation that Paul had saying, calling those things that are not as though they were. And he ties that all in to the revelation of Moses, Abraham and faith and all of that. And so that's very important that people get into this Moses thing and they give credit where credit is due. Because if they don't, they're going to lose, lose out. They're just going to lose out. Isaiah in 26.9 says, With my spirit within me will I seek thee early, O God. There's not too many people that talk like that. They don't talk about the spirit seeking God and designate it like the spirit that's within me. Not the Holy Spirit of God doing this, but my own spirit having the separate entity aspect like the dividing of the spirit, the body and the soul, Scripture. Isaiah 26, 9, with my spirit within me will I seek the old God. Now, we should look at the, at the Scripture because it, it's, it's such a wondrous uh, statement. It's, um, <laughs> I, th I think it's so awesome that most people don't even read it the way it is. But let's turn to Hebrew, the book of Hebrews, and let me, let me find this. We're going to find it. And I think I think it's so important. I just think that uh, you got you got to hear this because it's it's just utterly utterly awesome. Here we go. Hebrews eleven twenty seven. By faith, and it's talking about Moses, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, the Pharaoh. Now listen to this. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He endured by seeing him who is invisible. He saw the invisible God. This is the only place in the Bible anything like this is written. It's an incredible scripture. Most people, I never hear it quoted. It's like they read over it and they don't see it. This says that Moses saw the invisible God. We know there was a time that he tried to make that deal. And God said, no, you can't see him. If you see him, you'll die. So now we know that something was worked out differently. And that, that will not be the last time or the first time that with Moses, something was worked out differently. Like when Moses stood before God and said, if you're going to kill all these people, kill me too. And then God held back and changed the plan. And then Moses, who said, Let's, I, I just want to see, I want to be able to, to speak to this person. And, this, and he said, 
I will pass by and I will put my hand and block your vision. Now, it doesn't seem possible that a hand could block a vision. You know, if you're just passing by and you put your hand up and the guy's up on a rock over there, there's not going to be too much blocking that's going to do. So that means that the word hand, you know, sort of like sometimes it can mean apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists, the five fingers, like being ministry. So in this holding up his hand was sort of like when he told Moses, lift up the rod, hold up your hand, hold up your arm. And I will open the Red Sea. Lift up your rod, cast it down, and I will make it turn into a snake. So something miraculous happened there. So Moses could not see, could not see the frontal parts of the presence. But he says, you'll be able to see the back. Now, I did some deep Hebrew and, and very ancient uh, terms similar to Hebrew search. And I found out that what the really meaning of it was is that this hinder parts really meant the trail of angels, the train of angels that followed him. That you'll be able to see the angels, but you won't be able to see my personal presence. That got changed. Something obviously happened. And what happened was that when this thing with his head and his eyes and his nose and his mouth and his cheeks was covered with this dazzling dematerialization so that his whole head was under this cover that held the diffusion in place over his body in the shape of his head but was dematerialized, he was then able to see by the Spirit right through that cloth and see God because the Bible says he saw the invisible God. Now, Moses was told, you will not be able to cross over into Canaan. You will not be able to go there because you did this certain particular thing. Well, Moses evidently, you know, he survived the wrestling between one of the, the, the top co-archangels or the top angels, host angels, and Lucifer because the Bible says that they warred over the body of Moses. And he survived that. And then the next thing you hear about is Jesus going up to the Mount of Transfiguration, Hermon, Mount Hermon, and there's Moses. Moses is there, which is in the land of Canaan. Because according to the to the map that Jesus made the pledge that God made the pledge ple uh, the the pledge to Moses about was that it would go all the way to Euphrates River, which is beyond Hermon. So that incorporated and included the Mount Hermon, and there he is. Moses is there. So don't get caught up into even a statement that you might read in the Bible and apply it to yourself that says you can't do this or you've been a bad boy or a bad gal and now you're this or you're that. Because the Bible says that Israel, with all of their hard-neckedness and neckedness, how 
resistant and sinful that they were and all their rejections because they were designated to be a nation that represented God and were given the name of God, Israel. They had a chance if they endured unto the end that all of those mistakes and sins would be wiped out. So the Bible says in the New Testament that all Israel will be saved. And Ezekiel saw it, that big graveyard of bones. And God said, now, see all these bones? Do you think they can live again? He says, oh, God, only you would know. He says, well, you breathe on them and tell them, start prophesying to them and tell them to live again. And he breathed on them, start prophesying, and the bones lived again. Now, if we're not going to believe the Bible, we're not going to believe that Moses wrote those books, then you're not going to be believing in Jesus. If you're not going to be believing in Jesus, you're in a different camp than I am. It's been nice to know you, but maybe not that nice. See you later. Because I'm for Jesus. And if you're not for Jesus, then you have missed the whole ingredient of the revelation of what life's about. Now, does Jesus appear in other forms? Sure. He came as Melchizedek. He's come as angels. And he's probably come as other kinds of people. We don't even know who all those people are. But you can't take any one of those people and start putting curses on them or start downing them because you may be putting a, a curse on the Lord. Now, let's keep moving on. There's so much, so much to cover. Okay, now, we want to talk about love. We want to talk about fire. In Matthew 311, Jesus mentions about getting the Holy Ghost and fire. The Holy Ghost and fire. What do people think of when they think of fire? Well, they think of a destructive force. They think of an energy that can hurt you, hurt you bad. But that's not the only story and the, and the conclusive story. Fire, if you look it up, in some of the different books that give various meanings. It can mean splendor. It can mean radiance. It can mean energy. It can mean power, potency, burning passion, breath, to breathe life. It can mean love. It can mean flame, heat, heart. So now we've got this thing of of God, this fire, Holy Ghost and fire. People have raged about getting the Holy Ghost. You need to get the Holy Ghost. You need to get the Holy Ghost. And some of the people have gone into the speaking of unknown tongues. And they'll be, uh, they'll be out there yabber blabbing that uh, uh, just to everybody, which the Bible says do not do. It says don't speak in unknown tongues if there's not an interpreter. And the only differentiation of that would be that 
if you were just by yourself alone praying to God, that sometimes the Holy Spirit then could pray for you to God. And that's an unknown, unknown message also, but that's okay. So it's very, very important to understand all of these different things about when you pray, you pray to the Father. My, my Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. And Jesus taught this emphatically. Someone says, yeah, but it says Jesus' name. Yeah, the name of Jesus is his Father's name. That's where he, 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 he got his native input from. So now we need to understand this thing about this charm, this awesome, enchanting, enchanting fire. And we're going to look at some incredibly awesome scriptures. Now, I have preached on this subject to an extent before, but not as extensively as I hope to in this teaching because there is a lot in the Bible about fire. For instance, in, in the books of Moses, in the books of Moses, there are scriptures about fire. Now, that doesn't mean sometimes a scripture might have three or four mentions of fire. But I'm just talking about scriptures. There's 163 scriptures in the books of Moses that mentions fire. 163 in just five small books. It's a major subject. It's a major subject. Well, the Exodus escape has enabled us to go on has enabled us to get deeper. And out of that came the flood story. And out of that came the Tower of Babel. And can you imagine? Can you imagine a story where the angels are talking in heaven and Moses is aware of it and he's writing it. And they're saying, what's going on down there? He said, well, we better go take a look. Something's not right. So they go down, they take a look and they say, well, okay, we have to do something about this. They have reached a point that their information is so advanced, that their technology is so advanced, that they are just about to have a breakthrough that will change the potentiation of their contact with possible other races. We're going to have to do something down it, about it. And then the story is given of the angels coming and affecting their hearing so that they could not remember to speak their language the same. And then you had the confusion of tongues come out of that. What a story. What an incredible story about angels. Tower of Babel, that's, that's in the book of Genesis. That's one of the books that Moses wrote. That's all part of the Exodus escape. It was written not before the Exodus escape. It was written after the Exodus escape while they were waiting 40 years in, in the wilderness. And God was telling all of this and Moses was writing it. 
And it's awesome. Melchizedek came out of that. The story of Melchizedek, this person that Abraham was to find who had built a city not made with hands. The story of Adam and Eve came out of that. The generations of Adam came out of that. Wow. And it doesn't end. It goes on and on and on and on. And we start looking at these things about the fires. In Isaiah 24, 15, it says, Wherefore glorify ye the Lord in the fires, even the name of the Lord God of Israel in the isles of the sea. The fires. Wow. Holy Ghost and fire. People, when you take those subjects as a duality and you say, Holy Ghost, do point one, fire, point two, and you give them a reference of both being equal, then because almost no one out there has ever gotten into the real revelation of the fire, then that means that 50% of the words that Jesus spoke that people were to receive has not happened. And that you got people ever seeking, ever seeking, ever searching, and never coming to the knowledge of God. And it's just over and over and over being hamstrung with the same things, looking through a glass darkly, and never coming to the true realization of the facts of life and the Word of God. Now, it is quite incredible. It is quite incredible. And as we begin to, to see into all of this and to look at these scriptures, we begin to realize there's meanings. Like Revelations 1.14, his eyes a flame of fire. Also in Revelations 2.18 and 3.18, his eyes a flame of fire. In Daniel 7, 9 through 10, the Ancient of Days comes down. His thrones are fiery. There's fiery, a fiery stream that goes out from among them. There are wheels, and, and they are fiery. F-I-E-R-Y, fiery. Now, if you had a throne that was burning with physical fire, that wouldn't be a good thing. You got the throne comes down, it's on fire. Call for the, the fire engines to put it out. The throne where the ancient of days is going to sit. No, no. Obviously, there is a deep, deep, incredible meaning of that kind of fire. And the Holy Ghost and fire is all part of us supposed to be able to know it and to understand it. Well, I basically come to the end of time that I've got, and I didn't even begin to get, I don't think I got halfway through. So, guess what? We have to go on with this enchanted fire into next week, Lord willing, and really get into the fire next week and some other awesome things because what is coming in the way of revelation is a bundle 
of love. God is getting ready to show us and reveal to us the Holy Ghost and fire and the meaning of that fire and how to get that because Jesus said you can have it. Wait upon the Lord for the Holy Ghost and fire. And God wants us to have it. Jesus wants us to have it. It's the plan of God. So then until next week, Janet Lee at the organ. God bless you. <laughs>